to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Luke, chapter 8, verse 22, as we follow along with today's lesson. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, And he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him, and they awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? Now, these storms are quite common on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is actually surrounded by mountains. It is 600 feet below sea level. There are canyons that have been carved out by uh, water erosion through the years, And uh, when you get weather changes, uh, the uh, Sea of Galilee being 600 feet below sea level, you have a situation more or less like you have in Palm Springs, Indio, uh, where it gets very warm. But you have not far away the coastal area uh, of uh, the Mediterranean. And so you oftentimes get these uh, weather changes and violent winds, like in Banning, the Banning Pass. Uh, it's usually windy there. And if you've traveled that area very much, you've probably had your car sandblasted on an occasion or two because the wind always seems to be howling through that pass. And so uh, you have that kind of uh, condition where the wind will come howling down on the Sea of Galilee just in Ten minutes can turn a calm sea into a uh, just a raging sea. Uh, we saw that one day when we were there. We, we crossed the Sea of Galilee in a boat, and while we were eating lunch, one of these winds came down, and the whole lake was just churning. I was glad we had our crossing of the sea before lunch. Uh, I'd hate to have tried to cross it after lunch because of the uh, way the sea was whipped up by the winds. Now, Jesus was, no doubt, physically tired and worn, and and Mary had come to sort of rescue him. But the interesting thing is he gets into the ship and wants to go over to the other side and no doubt to just relax a bit with his disciples. And as soon as he gets into the ship, he falls asleep. But he is sleeping so soundly 
that when this vicious storm comes up, he doesn't even wake up. I mean, you talk about really dead in sleep. I mean, Jesus was really gone. And, and here this horrible storm, the ship is tossing. The water's coming over the bow. The ship is beginning to sink. And Jesus is asleep. To be able to sleep in a storm like that, it, you have to really be tired. And so the disciples woke him up, and when they said, Master, don't you care if we perish, that was sort of him included. Lord, if we all drown here, what's going to happen to the kingdom? You've been teaching us about the kingdom and all. Don't you care if we perish? The whole thing goes down the tubes. That song, Master, the tempest is raging. That one line, no water can cover the boat where lies the master of earth and wind and skies. And Jesus first rebuked the wind, and literally he said, be muzzled. Same words that he used sometimes when casting out demons, which may indicate that this storm was sent by Satan to tie to destroy. But having rebuked the winds, and there suddenly is a great calm, then he rebuked his disciples for their lack of faith. Where's your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commands even the winds and the water to obey him. The master of earth and wind and skies. And they arrived at the other, at the country of the Gadarenes, across the northern end of the lake from Capernaum which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils for a long time. He wore no clothes, and neither did he abide in any house, but lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God, most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. The other Gospels give us a, a graphic description of the man living there in the tombs, howling day and night, cutting himself with rocks, body no doubt scarred, People were afraid to come near him. At times they had attempted to imprison him, to tie him with chains, but with demonic powers, he broke the chains and thus he could not be controlled. Miserable, miserable existence indeed. There was another man out there with him. They both of them shared the same kind of fate. But Luke only mentions the one because he was the dominant of the two. And Luke tells us that Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bands 
and was driven by the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. A Roman legion was usually around 6,000 soldiers. And so he had many demonic spirits possessing his body. He was totally out of control. And these demonic spirits, notice in verse 31, begged Jesus that he would not command them to go out into the deep. The word deep there in Greek is abuso. Now, the abuso is also mentioned in Paul's epistle to the Romans and then several times in the book of Revelation. It is interesting that from the book of Revelation, the abuso, meaning a shaft, and in Revelation is translated bottomless pit, it seems to be the place from the book of Revelation where evil spirits, demonic spirits, are incarcerated. And that in the book of Revelation, there is an angel that comes with the key to the abuso. And he opens it up, and the earth is invaded by hordes of demonic spirits during the Great Tribulation as they are released from the abuso. We read of angels which kept not their first estate but are reserved in chains of darkness awaiting the day of judgment. Could be a reference to these angels or to these demonic spirits, the fallen angels. And most believe that the demonic spirits are fallen angels, those that went with Satan in his rebellion against God. When Jesus returns to the earth to establish his kingdom, the 19th chapter of Revelation tells us that Satan will be bound with a great chain and cast into the abuso. So that it seems to be the place of the incarceration of angelic type spirits. Men are incarcerated in Hades or the Greek Sheol. But the evil spirits are incarcerated in the abuso. Now, these demons that possess this man realize that that is their ultimate fate. And so they are begging Jesus that he would not command them to go out into the abuso. Now, there was nearby a herd of many swine who were feeding on the mountain, and they begged Jesus that he would allow them to enter into them, and he allowed them. Now, here is where some people find fault with Jesus. They said, you know, that, that's not right that he uh, allows those swine to be destroyed. Huxley, uh, who has done a lot of damage, uh, had a great argument on this, and he tried to show where Jesus was very... Um, uh, wrong, really, in, in, in destroying life. And all. I mean, you know, this guy who destroyed so many, but yet uh, he, he argued with Gladstone over this issue, and there was quite an argument in England some years back. 
on the, the propriety of Jesus in, in doing these things. Uh, what you need to take into consideration is that, number one, these people were living in the territory of Israel, were eating swine or keeping swine was unlawful. What Jesus was doing was getting rid of an unlawful industry. It's like Jesus calling down fire on a warehouse filled with cocaine. Oh, he destroyed the building. My, what a shame. How could he do that? Destroying someone's property. So it all depends on how you look at it. And the devils went out of the man, entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake, and they were choked. Now, those that were feeding the swine, those that were keeping them, when they saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the countryside. And they, that is the people of the city and the countryside, went out to see what was done, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man out of whom the devils were departed, and he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was clothed, and he was in his right mind. And they were afraid. What an insight this gives to us of mankind. They also which saw it told them by what means that he was possessed of the devils was healed. And the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about begged him to depart from them. For they were taken with great fear and he went again into the ship and returned back again. Imagine these people begging Jesus to, to depart. They were upset at the swine being destroyed rather than rejoicing for the man that was healed. They had more interest in the spotted owl <laughs> than in man himself. They'll let families be hungry in order to save the kangaroo rat. They'll let houses burn. Won't allow proper kind of cutting of the sage and so forth because gnat catchers might be nesting there. Well, they don't nest there now. <laughs> but when people put the interest of animals or things like that above man, then something's wrong with that society. Man is God's crowning creation. And yes, I believe in being kind to animals. No, I'm not a hunter. I'm not even a fisherman. But I... I think that the interest of man supersedes the interest of pigs. And I don't think that animals should ever be put above the welfare of man. Now, I know I'll get a lot of letters from you environmentalists, but <laughs> write them. I don't read them, so. <laughs> but you get it off your chest when you write it, you see. So it's good for you. It's good therapy. Uh, so you go ahead and write them. 
Now the man out of whom the devils were departed. And interesting, isn't it, that the devils uh, wanted to be incarcerated. They wanted to be embodied. They, uh, Jesus said when an uh, evil spirit is driven out of a man, they go out looking for a, a house to inhabit, a body. It seems like they cannot accomplish their nefarious deeds unless they are embodied in a in an animal or in a man. And thus, they go out through the dry places looking for a house to inhabit and finding none, they'll come back to the house from whence they've been driven. And if nothing has replaced their place in that body, they'll, they'll come back and the person can be again uh, taken over by the demon forces unless that place has been filled by the Holy Spirit. So, uh, interesting, we, there's, a, there's a world out there that we know very little about, and I really don't care to know too much about it, uh, but um, uh, there, there's a lot that we don't know. Now, the man out of whom the devils were departed begged Jesus that he might be with him. Notice, first of all, the, the demons were begging Jesus not to torment them. And then the people were begging Jesus to leave their country. And now the man is begging Jesus to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done unto him. You see, Jesus left a witness. They say, well, get out of here. Well, Jesus is going to leave his witness. The work that he did, it, it's, going to, it's going to stay there. They're going to be reminded that Jesus was here. You may reject him. You may ask him to leave. But here's a man who has a living testimony of the power of Jesus Christ, and you can't deny it. As he is living in the community now, healed and whole, by the power of Jesus Christ, you can't deny what the Lord has done. And so his life remains there as a witness as he publishes abroad everything that Jesus had done for him. Now, in contrast to these people that were saying, please leave, get out of here, came to pass that when Jesus was returned, that is to Capernaum, back the other side, the people gladly received him for they were all waiting for him. And isn't that interesting, the contrast of crowds? One saying, hey, get out of here. And, and the other saying, oh, great that you're here. Glad to see you. Um, you don't have to go very far to find places where Jesus is not welcome. Many times the demons would cry out to Jesus, let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou holy one of God? And I think of how a while back when members from West Los Angeles community came down to the church, and what was their cry? Let us alone. Don't come up to West Los Angeles to witness, let us alone. 
they don't want Jesus. But yet, how glorious when there is a reception. People are glad to see him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue. It's interesting that there in Capernaum today, there is a synagogue, not uh, the, the one that was standing there when Jesus was there, but one that was built in the second century over the top of the synagogue where Jesus stood. And where Jairus was a ruler. And he fell down at Jesus' feet, and he besought him, again, the beseeching, that he would come into his house, for he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. The crowds were pressing, wanting to get close. And a woman having a issue of blood or hemorrhaging for 12 years, which had spent all of her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any of them. She came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her hemorrhaging stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? And when all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude is thronging you, and they're pressing you. And you say, who touched me? <laughs> Come on, Lord, you got to be kidding. You know, we're getting pushed and shoved all over the place, and then you say, who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody has touched me. You know, there's a vast difference between thronging around Jesus and touching Jesus. The multitudes and the crowds throng him, but in the crowds there are those who actually touch him. And how glorious it is when you touch Jesus. You're not just pressing and being a part of the press or the throng, but you're being that one who in faith reaches out to touch and when the woman saw that she was not hid, well, he said, somebody's touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared unto him before all of the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. She gave her testimony. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Now, this woman had this condition for 12 years. 12 years earlier, she began hemorrhaging, losing blood, sort of life going out. 12 years earlier, life came into the home of Jairus in the form of a beautiful little girl. Being the only daughter, just no doubt the apple of her daddy's eye. The one who made life worth living. The one who brought joy and blessing and just 
such excitement into the home. Twelve years earlier, this woman began that long trek of weakness, searching for answers. The light had gone out as she was going from doctor to doctor, spending all of her money. None of them could help her. I think that there is a tie here, and I think that the reason why Jesus stopped and said, who touched me, was in order to give to Jairus hope and faith because of the news that he was to receive in just a moment. He's concerned about his little 12-year-old daughter who's dying. Here is a woman who is now giving testimony of how Jesus brought life to her after 12 years of slowly dying as she is hemorrhaging. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. And while he yet spake, you see, Jesus knew that this news was going to be coming right now. And he let this woman give the testimony to just bolster the faith of Jairus. And while he yet spake, there came one from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said to him, your daughter is dead. What a blunt way to just give the news. Trouble not the master. It's too late. Your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, fear not. Believe only and she shall be made whole. Don't fear. Don't panic. Just believe. She shall be made whole. And when he came to the house, he did not allow any man to go in except for Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. And they all wept and bewailed her. But he said, Weep not, she's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out, and he took her by the hand, and he called her, saying, Little dear, arise. Interesting again, as we pointed out before, how that Jesus addressed dead people as though they were alive. Talking to this little girl who is dead, he talks to her as though she's alive. He says, Little dear, Arise. Interesting. To Lazarus, he said, Lazarus, come out of there. To the widow's son of Nain, he commanded the son to arise. Talk to him, the dead, as though they were alive. And her spirit came again. Now, death is the separation of your spirit from your body. Basically, you are a spirit and you live in a body. The body isn't you. You are spirit. The body is the tent in which you live. It has been designed by God to be the instrument or the medium by which your spirit can express itself. 
We'd have a hard time relating to each other tonight were it not for our bodies. But because of the medium of the body, we can relate what we are, what we feel, what we think. And as we relate to each other, we can come to know each other. We come to understand each other. We come to appreciate and admire and love each other. And that's exactly what God intended. That we come into deep, loving, meaningful relationships through the medium of our bodies. But the body designed to express me. Now, when through age, accident, illness, disease, the body can no longer fulfill the functions for which God designed it, then God releases our spirits from our bodies. And that's a gift of love from God. Lest my spirit go on in a body that's no longer capable of expressing me, a body that gives me restriction of movement, a body that gives me pain and suffering, a body that is not, any, uh, is not fulfilling the, the purposes for which God designed the body, then he in love releases my spirit from the body. And as Paul said, not that I would become an unembodied spirit, but that I might be clothed upon with the body which is from heaven. So we who are in this earthly tent do often groan, earnestly desiring to be delivered from this earthly tent, not to be unembodied, but to be clothed upon with the body which is from heaven. For we know as long as we're at home in these bodies, we're absent from the Lord. We'd rather be absent from these bodies and to be present with the Lord. So this little girl's spirit had departed from her body, dead. But now her spirit came back into her body. And she arose immediately, and he commanded to give her some food. And her parents were astonished, but he told them that they shouldn't tell any man what was done. He did not want again a premature attempt at forcibly trying to make uh, claim him the Messiah and develop a revolt against Rome. That was not his purpose in the first coming. Not to overthrow the governments of man, but to establish his government in the hearts of those where the seed fell on the good soil and would bring forth fruit. He will come again to establish his kingdom, but that was not the purpose of his first coming. He came first to destroy the works of the devil and to destroy the power of sin and to bring liberty to those who were bound and captive to the enemy. He'll come again and establish the kingdom. Chapter 9. Jesus has been ministering around the Sea of Galilee, most recently in Capernaum, where he has raised from the dead the daughter of Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. And then he called the 12 disciples together and he gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach or to herald 
the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So calling together the 12, Jesus is entering into the final six months of his ministry. He knows that the time is coming. This is his final sweep through the Galilee region. He will now be making his way towards Jerusalem as he sets his face to go to Jerusalem where he knows that he will be offered up as a sacrifice for men's sins. And so he sends his disciples out with power and with authority over the demonic spirits, commissions them to proclaim, to herald, the kingdom of God. When John the Baptist began his ministry, he began it with the words, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus began his ministry, he began his ministry with the words, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And now as he sends his disciples forth, they are to go forth and to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. In the healing of the sick, they are in reality demonstrating a part of the kingdom of God. When Jesus comes again in glory to establish his kingdom, there will be no sickness. There will be no physical infirmities. We will see the earth as God desired and intended the earth to be. No sickness, no suffering, no pain. Former things will have passed away. We will be dwelling in that glorious kingdom of God. You will see how men could live if they lived, all of them, in obedience to the laws of God. It is sin that has brought blight to mankind. It is sin that has introduced the aging processes, sin that has brought in the sicknesses and the sufferings that men experience. But when Jesus establishes God's kingdom and we see God's intent in his creation, his creation of man, man dwelling in obedience and in fellowship with God, we'll see the kind of world it could be if men could only catch that vision. But men will not catch that vision. It will not come until the king comes to establish that kingdom. Now, in a sense, as he sends the disciples out, they're more or less an advance team. They're, you see, they didn't have television and radios and newspapers per se that, uh, you know, you could set up advertisements and say, Billy Graham's going to be coming to the Los Angeles area and billboards and all. They didn't have that kind of uh, ability to uh, get the word out of what's happening, what's going on. And so Jesus sends his disciples out into the areas where he will be going in order that they might go before him 
and prepare the hearts of the people for the coming king, for Jesus. And so they are there as advanced teams, given the power that they might demonstrate exactly what the people are going to see when King Jesus arrives at their villages. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house you enter into, there abide, and there from there depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. It's interesting how that Jesus sent them forth. I believe that he was sending them forth that they might learn lessons of faith and trust in God. How vastly different it is from the way people often go forth today. A while back, we had a young couple who came to the board requesting missionary support. They were going to go down to Buenos Aires to be involved in a television ministry and all. And when they gave us their budget, interestingly enough, they had included a maid in the budget. And uh, it was about $3,800 a month that they figured they needed to live in Buenos Aires to do this missionary work down there. What a contrast to what Jesus said. Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, bread, money, neither have two coats apiece. You're to go out and just trust in the Lord, live by faith, and that's a great way to live. It's, it's good to know that God does, can, and will supply your needs. I am so thankful for the early years of my ministry that were financially very difficult in that we went out much like this because we didn't have anything else. But to see and to know how God can supply. I learned lessons that are invaluable, and I wouldn't trade those lessons for anything. As they say, experience is the best teacher if you can afford the tuition. And uh, <laughs> it, it's great to, to learn those lessons of God's faithfulness because they've been lessons that have been rich through the years. Now, this thought of shaking the dust off their feet. That was sort of borrowing from the Jewish rabbis. Whenever the Jewish rabbis would be traveling in a foreign Gentile territory, when they came back to the territory of Israel, they would stop at the borders and they would knock the dust off. They didn't want to bring any Gentile dust into Jewish territory. And uh, so you would see them at the borders as they would be knocking the dust off their sandals. And uh, it's uh, 
So Jesus is saying, if they don't receive you, just shake the dust off your sandals, like the rabbis do. And uh, it'll um, be a testimony against them. And so they, the disciples, departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel. Now Jesus had commanded them to go and to proclaim. Uh, Two Greek words are involved here. One is to evangelize. The other is to just proclaim. Uh, And in this case, uh, it is evangelizing. They went around evangelizing in the towns as they evangelized the gospel. And they were healing everywhere. Now, Herod, the Tetrarch, had heard of what was being done. And he was perplexed because some were saying that it was John the Baptist risen from the dead and others that it was Elijah that had appeared and others one of the old prophets, that is Moses as the promise was by Moses and there shall arise a prophet like unto myself unto whom you shall give heed and that was a prophecy of the Messiah. Interesting that when Jesus said, whom do men say that I am? These are the three that was suggested. Uh, The disciples said, well, some say John the Baptist and some say Elijah and some say one of the old prophets risen from the dead. So these are the words that uh, had spread to Herod. And um, Herod said, John, I have beheaded. But who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. Now, Jesus did not go to Tiberias, where Herod had his palace and from where Herod ruled over that area. Jesus really had, I think that because of Herod's beheading his cousin. Jesus had really nothing to say to him. He called him a sly fox. He said, don't you know Herod's out to get you? He said, go tell that sly fox. And when he was brought before Pilate to be judged, Pilate felt this dilemma because he knew Jesus was innocent. He knew that it was for jealousy, envy, that he had been delivered uh, to be tried and that there were no real charges. And he was really trying to sort of skirt the whole issue and move himself out of it because he, he recognized that he was being forced by the crowd to do that which was not really just or right. And, and that was bothering him. So he heard that Pilate was there for the uh, Passover feast And so he sent Jesus, I mean, he heard, Pilate heard that Herod was there. He sent Jesus to Herod. And Herod was excited. He was delighted. He was wanting to Jesus to do some kind of a miracle. And and so when Jesus stood before Herod, Jesus did not speak to him, not a word, had nothing to say to him. I'll tell you, when Jesus has nothing to say to a person, that person's in big trouble. And, uh, 
So Herod just sent him back. Jesus, of course, wasn't going to perform any miracle to satisfy a person's curiosity. That was never a situation with the miracles. It was always to relieve or to aid the suffering. Never for display, never for show, never in showiness. And this is the thing that bothers me about a lot of the TV evangelists today. There seems to be so much drama and show uh, with the miracles. That wasn't the case with Jesus. Never did he do it with uh, the showiness and all. But it was only out of a compassion for the needs of the people and, and to alleviate their suffering and their pain. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them, and he went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And I translate, I mean, I I say deserted because that really isn't desert. When you think of desert, you think of something like... um, the area, you know, out towards Blythe and all, or Mojave Desert. But really, it's, it's quite a lovely area. It's around the Sea of Galilee, a lot of beautiful foliage, and uh, it, it's, it's not desert, but it is deserted. And so uh, a place of quietness, a place where uh, he can go with his disciples. They've, they've been on this mission. They've seen exciting things. Now just to spend some quiet time with them over near Bethsaida in a deserted area. But the people, when they saw the little ship going across, they sort of reckoned about where they would be landing and they ran around the upper part of Galilee so that when Jesus arrived with his disciples, there were thousands of people waiting for them. And he spake unto them. He received them. It says, I love that. He received them. He said, oh, go away. Don't you know we've come over here to rest? But he just, he received them. He didn't turn them away. And he spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and he healed them that had need of healing. Now, when the day began to wear away toward evening, then came the 12 and said unto him, Send the multitude away. Get rid of them, Lord. That they may go into the towns and the country round about and find lodging and get food. For we're in this deserted area. But he said unto them, give them to eat. And they said, we have no more than but five loaves and two fish. Except we should go and buy meat for all of the people. Philip had already figured out it would take some 200 denarius worth of, uh, 200 denarius worth of bread to, to feed this multitude. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so, and they made them all sit down. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke and gave to the disciples, and they set them before the multitude, and they did eat and were all filled. The word in Greek is glutted. And there was taken up of the fragments that remained to them 12 baskets. And so the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. It's interesting 
to me. So often what we think we have is so paltry in comparison with the need. You know, we look at the needs and and we feel like, what can we do? We We have so little. How can we ever take care of the needs of this many with as little as... But you know, the little that we have in the hands of Jesus can provide for a multitude. The whole key is take what you have and give it to him and watch him multiply it. Watch him use it. Watch him minister through it to the needs. So it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. Though the disciples were there, he was praying to the Father alone. In other words, it was as though they were not there as far as his conversation with the Father. He was alone with the Father in conversation. The disciples were around him, but the prayer was alone. Now, have you ever thought that when Jesus prayed, it really wasn't like when we pray? When we pray, it is usually petitions that we are asking the Father for. When Jesus prayed, it was just more or less discussion as they were talking over the issues. And uh, he didn't have to go through a mediator, but could just directly speak to the Father at any time just concerning the issues, but no need for him to make petition. And then he asked his disciples, whom do men say that I am? And they told him what Herod had heard and what the common beliefs were, that he was perhaps John the Baptist. Maybe he is Elijah. Malachi had promised that Elijah would come before the Lord to prepare the hearts of the people. And maybe he was one of the old prophets risen from the dead, as we suggested earlier, the prophet Moses, that they were expecting uh, the Messiah to be a prophet like unto Moses. So he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And this is always bottom line. It's not what others are saying about Jesus. What do you say about him? What's your opinion? You say, what difference does it make? All the difference in the world. The difference between life and death. Who do you say that he is? Is he the only begotten Son of God Is he God manifested in flesh? Is he the savior of the world? Or is he just in your mind? Perhaps a good man, a moralist, a man who taught virtuous things. The problem is you can't really just say that he was a good man, a moralist, a philosopher, without also acknowledging that he was the only begotten Son of God. 
because he said he was the only begotten son of God. If he was not, then he was a liar. He was a fraud. He was a deceiver. And so you see, people today who try to just uh, look at Jesus as a good man, no, he was an evil man if he was not the Son of God because he was guilty of deceiving the people and lying to the people. He taught moral virtues. No, no, he didn't. If he is not the Son of God, he's a liar. He's a great philosopher. No, he's not a great philosopher. If he is not the Son of God, then all that he said is meaningless. There is no truth. He said he was the truth. So who do you say that he is? We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Luke in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on opinions about Jesus. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Luke 8-9 through 9 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we thank you again for your word and the privilege of studying, delving in, learning. Father, as we look again at these things which Luke recorded, little episodes out of your life, bringing forth the teachings, the principles, help us, Lord as we hear the word, to also be doers. Help us, Lord, to be careful how we hear. Help us, Lord, to receive the word. May it find fertile soil, and may it bring forth fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Every year, Pastor Chuck used to give a prophecy update to prepare Christians to be ready to give an answer to anyone who wants to know what the Bible says about the future. And right now, the Word for Today would like to offer you resources that will help you comprehend and unravel the scriptures that pertain to prophecy, such as Pastor Chuck's commentary on the book of Revelation, or a collection of DVDs that relate to Israel, the rapture, and the Holy Spirit in the last days. 
I encourage you as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to become informed about what the Bible says about the soon return of Jesus Christ and to be able to share your faith with others. For more information about resources concerning biblical prophecy, call the Word for Today at 800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.